Hey, Podcast Medieval fans, it's Dan here to tell you that we are at the end of our Halloween season, coming right here on the tail end of November. Just wanted to let you know that uh, we referenced that a little bit in the podcast, but anytime you hear Halloween mentioned, just mentally insert Thanksgiving, and that way it won't be too disorienting for you. We hope you enjoy it. This is a very fun episode about Hannibal Lecter, and I think that's it. So let's get to it! You know what you look like to me with your good bag and your cheap shoes? You look like a rube. A well-scrubbed, hustling rube with a little taste. Good nutrition's given you some length of bone, but you're not more than one generation from poor white trash, are you, Agent Starling? And that accent you've tried so desperately to shed, pure West Virginia. What is your father to you? Is he a coal miner? Does he stink of the land? You know how quickly the boys found you. All those tedious, sticky fumblings in the back seats of cars while you could only dream of getting out, getting anywhere, getting all the way to the end of the pie. Greetings, mortals, and welcome to another episode of A Podcast But Evil. I'm Dan Oster. I'm Doug Leaf. And we are at the end of our October of Chills. <laughs> <laughs> with Hannibal. That's what we're calling it, right, Doug? I think the last time you said our Festival of Frights, and then you said, let's call it Horornica. Horornica. Yeah. Exactly. Horornica. That's catching on. I'm trademarking it. Uh, but we're at the end of our Halloweeners with Hannibal Lecter, the therapist you hope you don't get. <laughs> the Chesapeake Ripper, as he is also known. Oh, fantastic. A tidbit already at the top. But before we get too deep into Hannibal Lecter, uh, just a reminder, if you're enjoying this podcast, you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. You can go ahead and click a rating there if you want to just give us a a quick rating by clicking on a star. And you can reach out to us at Podcast But Evil on Twitter. And with that out of the way, I'd like to introduce our special guest for this podcast. She's a very talented comedian and writer who's worked on NBC and Comedy Central and is involved in the upcoming Book of Beasts on Netflix. But my favorite credit is she is also the voice of Pamela Voorhees, the mother of future podcast but evil subject Jason Voorhees in the Friday the 13th video game. Please welcome to the podcast, Jen Burton. Hello. Thank you. Yes. I so, I didn't realize you were going to do that last one. I was compelled to do the voice, and then I changed my mind at the last second. <laughs> uh, well, I have to mention you... it. This is this is a podcast, but evil. How can I not mention? No, that, 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 no, here. You would be remiss if you did not. And there is, we have no shame about doing voices on this show for sure. So uh, see Mr. Burns. Uh, <laughs> so Jen, one thing we like to do when we ever we have a guest on is usually we have that guest on because they have a particular affinity uh, for the subject. So quid pro quo, Jen? Why uh, quid pro quo, Clarice? Why? Why? Are, <laughs> I thought that was Pamela Voorhees. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, tell us about your connection with Hannibal Lecter. Like, why did you want to do this character? Okay, so, yes. Well, I think the reason that I wanted to do this character is because I really like the movie Silence of the Lambs. Like, I really genuinely like it a lot. And I've thought a lot about why that is. Because the truth is, is I do not like horror movies. I genuinely, like, I hate them. I avoid them. Anything that has, like, gross out, like, bloody stabbings or chainsaws or, you know, uh, I'm not gonna like it. I'm just not gonna like. What it. was that last I, one? Was that just like it was like it's a gug? It's when you die by gug. Somebody it's, throws it's, like a, a bowl of Jello on your head and you gug, and then it's you're the dead. sound you start to make when you see a ghost. You go, I was gonna say that's the sound. Uh, that's what if you yank on your collar so hard that you die. That's <laughs> right, true. Right. Yeah. Somebody should make a movie about that. At any rate, I don't like them genuinely. I really don't. But I really like Silence of the Lambs, even though it has horror elements to it. You could call it a thriller you could call it horror it's hard to say but I think the reason that I really like it is because I and this might be verboten to say on this podcast but I don't believe that Hannibal Lecter is a villain even though he's a serial killer I don't believe he's a villain so that is why it interests me so much now Jen told me that before she came on and my immediate thought was oh no he got (laughs) well he is a villain in that he kills people which is bad 
Uh, true. Yeah. But within yeah, the context is, of well, I'm glad movie, you recognize I would argue that. that he is not a villain. So here's an interesting thing about Hannibal Lecter and whether or not he's a villain. Because oddly enough, Jen, I was thinking about that very question myself because I went back and watched the movie again this week to prepare. As and, and I also watched Red Dragon as well. I did not have time to recram the other stuff, which I'm sure we'll touch on. Mm. But he is a villain, but not to Clarice. Which is interesting. He's the he's not the antagonist of the story. He's, he's certainly like the a mentor no. figure, right? He's the he's the Obi Wan Kenobi of of the movie. <laughs> yeah. the The worst thing he does to her is he makes her feel uncomfortable sometimes by asking her some probing questions. But it's somebody else's tongue he's eating. You know, it's not Ex- her. Yes, exactly. In <laughs> well, fact, well, sorry. Go ahead, Dan. Were you going to say something? No, I was just going to say. I, I, I find I think that's an interesting point that we should explore. But it's also amusing to me that he he's not a villain because he's not hurting the protagonist. <laughs> he just hurts everyone else. Okay, but what, he what really a doesn't. He actually is a victim, and in, I would say in that movie in general, he is a victim just within that storyline only. And here's why I would well, say that. Well, if I, if I may... Sorry, I go ahead. Yeah, we're you getting a little ahead of ourselves because we do have an initial segment that is oh. meant to welcome our listeners to this character who may not have the encyclopedic knowledge that both Jen and Doug have. Oh, sure. The question we always ask at the top is, of course, Dan, what do you know about Hannibal Lecter without having done any studying? Right. I'm like the world's worst uh, witness uh, from like a Hannibal Lecter murder. <laughs> like, what, what do you know? Ah, <laughs> uh, okay, well, he's a uh, psychiatrist... And he likes fava beans. And no, no let's see. I, <laughs> uh, all right. Well, he's um, God. Is it is it Thomas who Harris? Harris. Right, Thomas Thomas Harris uh, wrote the original book Silence of the Lambs, which was made into a film directed by Jonathan Dem. Is that how you say it? Demi Demi Demi. Demi. Huge movie, huge smash hit movie, psychological thriller, and it's been made. You know, uh, it was made once before actually in the in the movie Manhunter. Uh, with uh, William Peterson as the star of that film. But side note. Anyway, so Silence of the Lambs uh, and Hannibal Lecter is a figure in that story. He's not the the main villain, as Jen pointed out, because there's an, a young FBI agent named Clarice Starling who is pursuing another serial killer. And she goes and consults this notorious figure, Hannibal Lecter, who is a cannibal. And somehow that got past... <laughs> The editor, <laughs> that, that, that there would be a, a guy named Hannibal who's a cannibal, but their relationship is really the most interesting thing about this story, and I think why people talk about it. And Hannibal Lecter himself, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna step on Jen's toes because I know she has a lot to say about it. But what I seem to know about Hannibal Lecter is that he is capable of hurting you even when he's behind like six inches of bulletproof glass. You know, he's, he's, he can manipulate you. He can sense your weaknesses. He can, he can really, he uses his knowledge of the human psyche to get what he wants and to make people do things. And that, I think, is, even though he can be brutal and violent, because he can also do that physically, I think it's that it's his brain, you know, and his willingness to use it in that way that makes him so scary. Uh, that's what I know about Hannibal Lecter. Uh, so now comes the book report. No, um, so uh, you're right, Dan. I think all those things are right. Um, so he, just to set a, a couple of basic things about him, um, the, the he first appears in the book Red Dragon uh, from 1981, and that's the one that was made into Manhunter. Oh, uh, thank then, you. You made a and face, was, and I, I appreciated you not, not stopping me. I was like, oh, I got yeah. that wrong. Yeah, so uh, that was adapted into a film called Manhunter in the 80s where uh, Brian Cox played Hannibal Lecter. And then later on, the book Silence of the Lambs was released in, I think, 88. Uh, and then the movie come, uh, with Jodie Foster and Anthony Hopkins comes out in 91. It's followed by a sequel called Hannibal. I believe the book is released in like 98. The movie comes out, I think, in 01. And then uh, there was a book, one more book called Hannibal Rising, which is a prequel about his youth. Uh, and then that was made into a movie uh, later. And then they also readapted Red Dragon one more time with Anthony Hopkins. And then there was the TV series, which is an amalgam of everything except Silence of the Lambs, which ran for, I think, three seasons with Mads Mikkelsen as Hannibal Lecter. He reminds me of Garfield. And the books should be like, you know, Hannibal, 
<laughs> Who reminds you of Garfield? You know, there's all these books with Hannibal. You know, it's like Garfield, oh. you know, still eating. You know, Garfield, <laughs> you know, sits around the house. Hannibal the chewing like, the fat. Yeah, exactly. That's an They're be. all just food related. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, I sorry, I was thinking Monday. of this. Yeah, yeah, he does. But he, I love lasagna, Clarice. Uh, Jen, I want to throw it to you then to, to talk yes. about kind of his personality, which is, I think Dan kind of touched on this already, which is that like, yeah, 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 he can stab you and eat you. That's yes. not nearly as interesting, though, as like the, the psychological manipulation stuff. Exactly. And I think that one of the more interesting lines from that movie is that one of the cops says, you know, I heard he's a vampire. And he, and she says they don't have a name for what he is because it's he's like a sociopath in that he does things that appear to be without empathy, meaning like he can murder somebody, you know, for no good reason, it seems. But he has empathy for Clarice. So is he a sociopath? It's hard to say. When she tells the story about the lambs, he has tears in his eyes. Like he feels empathy. He does. I think what's likable about him as a character is that he has a lot of qualities that are really good. He's very polite. He's educated. He loves music. He's a really good artist. He doesn't like people who are disrespectful. And nobody likes somebody who's disrespectful. In fact, a lot of the people that he wants to kill or goes after are people who are disrespectful. You're saying rude people. Is that his target? Is that like, who does he prey upon? I'm judging only from Silence of the Lambs. So the first person he preys upon is Miggs. Miggs is the guy in the prison who, when Clarice first comes through, ejaculates on her face as she's leaving. And at that point, he has said to her, I'm not going to help you. She's sat. She's talked to him. She's tried to get what she wants. She's very honest at first, but then she tries to trick him and he senses it and he calls her out on it. And then he's basically says, like, I'm not going to help you. And she starts to leave. And Miggs, one of the grosser of the prisoners, is masturbating and then throws his jizz in her face. And she goes, good. <laughs> That's what the sound is. That's what it was. And he calls her back. And he says, uh, he says, you know, I never would have had that happen. He has a great line, which is something I actually wrote it down because I wanted to say. He says, discourtesy is unspeakably ugly to me, is what he says. Discourtesy is ugly to me. And then he gives her a clue about Hester Moffat. That's the first time he gives her a clue. He agrees to give her the clue because this horrible thing has happened. I think he feels responsible for it. And he calls her back and he says, go find Hester Moffat, you know, the storage facility, which is what's in that movie. And then the first person- Look inside yourself. Look inside. Oh, yes. Look inside yourself. So then she leaves, and then the next thing we find out is that he has done exactly what Dan mentioned, which he has psychologically convinced Miggs to kill himself by swallowing his own tongue, which I'm not even quite sure what that means, but he killed Miggs for Clarice. Just by talking to him. Just by talking to him. And that's the level, and that's like the first level of like us understanding the kind of power he has psychologically. Mm -hmm. Is it able uh, to kill? I should also know just a basic plot point uh, that I left out in case again you're new to Hannibal Lecter. But the reason he's being consulted is that the serial killer they're looking for was a former patient of his. Is that the deal? No, they don't know that yet. Oh, Um, oh, he's the he's the the former lover of one of Hannibal's patients. He says got he met it, him only it. once. Okay. I just wanted uh, to throw that out there. Is that This is why he's being consulted by Agent Sterling. Okay. Well, and again, this is not the first time because this is Silence of the Lambs is actually the second book. This is the second time, at least, that they've come to him to consult with because they figured who best to catch a serial killer but another serial killer and one who is an expert in psychology. So in Red Dragon, it's sort of a slightly different version of this relationship where Will Graham, who's the protagonist of that story, he is the agent responsible for catching Hannibal Lecter in the first place. And he worked with Hannibal Lecter to track down other serial killers and then ultimately figured out that Hannibal Lecter was responsible for some of the ones in the Baltimore uh, okay, that he was tracking. You. But that's already happened by the start of the novel. They do dramatize the the scene in the movie where he gets caught. But anyway, Will is going to Hannibal Lecter for help catching uh, a killer who is at that point being called the Tooth Fairy. And uh, <laughs> their relationship, 
Well, the, he the, Hannibal the, the who, cannibal he, and the tooth fairy. That was as far as his brainstorming his, went. Well, he, he, well, he becomes the, the, he's the, the, the killer's drag. real name was Ruth Barry. <laughs> <laughs> so that sorry, was the weird part. Sorry. But no, the, their relationship, Will Graham and Hannibal's relationship, at least within the confines of Red Dragon, is very different from uh, his relationship with Clarice. Right. Precisely because he is, you know, you know, he's understandably very pissed at Will Graham for catching him. So he does give Will Graham clues to ultimately catch Dollarhide. Uh, Francis Dollarhide is the the actual name of the guy. But instead of like helping Clarice as he does along the way, he's also simultaneously like passing notes to the Red Dragon Killer, hoping that he tries to get him Will Graham's home address. So oh. he'll attack him. That's he's, you know, he's much more antagonistic towards him. Right. Um, even when he's starting to sound a little more role. like a villain, eh, Jen? Well, yeah. I guess I have been corrected. <laughs> Pardon me while I'll end this Zoom call. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> he's actually, well, we've, we've done this a couple, well, there, uh, there's a, a AFI, American Film Institute, put out a list of the 50 greatest heroes and the 50 greatest villains in cinema. We have, throughout the course of this podcast, hit a handful of them. We've done uh, The Wicked Witch of the West. We've done Freddy Krueger. There may be one other one I'm forgetting that's on the list. Dracula. Is, uh, Dracula's on the list. Yep. Hannibal Lecter is numero uno. Really? AFI, well, greatest I villain of all time. these people have never seen the love story, Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> <laughs> because that's so. what it is. Yeah, Darth Vader's number two, Hannibal Lecter's number one. Clarice, by the way, is on the heroes list at number five. Mm, ah, she okay. deserves higher. Well, than Darth that. Vader's not a villain. He just wants to bring order to the galaxy. <laughs> mm, so, you know. Interesting. I think it's interesting because, as you said at the top, Jen, at least within the context of this one story. This one world, yes. Yeah, he's not entirely the villain. And he's only on screen, I think, for a grand total of like 16 minutes yeah. or something in the entire movie. But mm. he dominates the entire thing to the That's point where, the... yeah, he's the number one villain. Did you get the That's Academy right. Award? Yes, in fact, the, the movie swept. They got it got oh, not only best actor surprising. and actress for Jodie Foster and Anthony Hopkins. It got best adapted screenplay, best director, yes. and best picture that year. This, this is where is I can fantastic. It really. I want to drop my the, uh, the little tidbit that I know about his performance is that in part he based his vocalization of Hannibal Lecter on Catherine Hepburn. Just a fun little tidbit, folks. The other inspiration I saw he cited was HAL 9000 from 2001 A Space Odyssey, which is interesting because HAL is, uh, I'd love to do HAL on this show at some point. He's, I mean, that's kind of defined by its detachment from humanity. I can see that in the performance. There's also a lot of that in the directing too, specifically with the the Demi movie, that they're constantly shooting straight at a character who's staring right down the barrel of the camera. And it's incredibly threatening. Yes. They do that with multiple characters. I mean, they do that when they're figuring out at the end that Bill knew his first victim. They do that with Clarice and her friend from the Academy when they figure it out and they they actually finish each other's sentences. She says, what do you covet? You covet what you you see every day. What you see every day. Sorry. Bill, for the casual viewer, is Buffalo Bill. And he's Mm -hmm. the killer. I call him Bill because I'm familiar with him. (laughs) Bill. He's my best friend. Uh, James Gum. Played by Jane Ted, um, was she a great big fat person? Levine, notable excellent. notable performance from Ted Levine. Yes, uh, yeah. Which is there's a whole controversy around that performance, which I don't think we need to get into in this podcast. And certainly, as a couple of cisgender white dudes, I'm sure Dan and I are not qualified to talk about. Oh, but um, as a cisgender as white, a cisgender lady, white lady, I have. You're, you're our best hope. Let me just so. you guys shut off your mics, and I'm just going to go for as long as I feel like. <laughs> Nope, nope, um, not. I don't have it either. Yeah. I know. I, uh, yeah, me, I totally agree yeah. with you. Although I will say, I think a person can say without it being controversial is that so many of the themes in this movie have to do with men and women and women navigating a man's world. And the men that are portrayed, in, and there's a lot of men in this movie, there's a lot of men in this movie from different worlds. You have. Jack Crawford, her boss, who you go, is he sexually attracted to her or isn't he? It's sort of like implied, but not really. But he's using her to get to Lecter. You have Lecter himself. You have Buffalo Bill. You have Dr. Chilton, who 
In my book, Chilton is the villain of that movie. He and Buffalo, Buffalo Bill is like, he's almost not even like a human being. He's a force. He is the result of what happens with severe violent trauma is kind of what they imply is that he had this very traumatic childhood. And so he's between these female and male worlds and she's in this male world trying to navigate it and then you have this guy who doesn't fit anywhere and they won't let him be a woman which is what he thinks he is and so he's doing it himself and so like he is both he is the man who doesn't fit in a man's world but he isn't allowed to be a woman and Clarice navigating this male-dominated FBI world trying to make her way and like her father died. like it's there's a lot of male female themes that are happening and I think he's the linchpin to be honest and obviously transgenderism is a touchy subject as Doug alluded to and I just want to point out that the language that Jen used is very specific to this film because she said he thinks he is and that's kind of a point in the film that I think Hannibal Lecter he like says that basically like yes. he thinks he's trans I guess they say transsexual yes. but like that he in Hannibal Lecter's opinion this guy believes that he's transsexual that is 100% but, Hanna, but, but Hannibal Lecter does not language. believe that he is. Is that true? I'm doing this 100% on what Hannibal Lecter says Which, again, it's a touchy subject, him. but this is as scripted. I mean, this is as yes. the story is written. I'm so not making I'm just, a judgment about no, whether I know, he is or I know, not. I'm purely pulling it from the movie. I don't want to Amy Coney Barrett you <laughs> with the language now. I just wanted to point that out. But I, to your point, actually, to back it up, because that's just a, a minor thing I wanted to say. I think you're bringing up a very... Interesting angle here, which is the gender politics of this film are very apparent. But I never really considered that the character of Bill, as we call him, uh, him exists at a very interesting point on that spectrum. Yes, he's right in between these worlds. And he doesn't fit anywhere. He just doesn't fit. He believes he's transgender. The outside world does not believe that. And so they won't let him. I'm saying that in quotes. Lecter even says he's like, he believes he's transgender, but really he's just this traumatized person who thinks that this is going to help him with his pain kind of thing. And he's just not allowed to be any particular thing. And so he's like, well, I'll just do it myself by making myself a lady suit out of skin. <laughs> and that's yeah. what he does. And that's, that's right. what he if, does. <laughs> if you're well, not familiar with the story, I know most people are at this point. That's what he's doing. He's kidnapping women and making a suit from their skin. Yes. Ew. He puts them in a well and they put the lotion on their skin and then they put it in the basket. Or else again. what happens? What happens if they don't put the lotion in the basket? It gets the hose again. <laughs> <laughs> um, Sorry, Doug. No, no, you're absolutely right. I think the gender politics angle of this film in particular is really important. It's like male gaze, the movie. You're constantly seeing yes. everything from Clarice's point of view. And one of the first scenes in the movie is she walks into Jack Crawford's office and he's staring right at her It's you know via the camera at us. And he is never really threatening to her in the movie at all. But it really puts us ill at ease to have this view staring yes. at us. And that's everyone she meets. She goes into that funeral parlor for one yeah. of the victims and there's a, a hundred whatever cops standing mm -hmm. around and they, the camera just pans as all of them are just staring at her. Yep. Um, and they do so much to make her seem small and afraid. And, and, and we have to remember, she's not an FBI agent. She's barely a trainee. Yeah. Throughout this why movie. why so, is she on the case as a trainee? She, Jack Crawford sends her to Hannibal Lecter as a trainee without telling her really what his agenda is on the assumption that if he sent anyone else who was more qualified or knew more, Hannibal Lecter being the extremely perceptive guy that he is, would suss it out. Um. So, But once she establishes that relationship with him, he starts to rely on her. She starts to help crack some of the issues in the case and he starts to rely on her more and that's why she kind of ends up being the hero through his jack crawford's manipulation and i would say too i would argue that whereas chilton is using lecter to further his own career especially when he figures out that like a deal was made without him and then he made his, he makes his own private deal with the senator the mother of catherine the woman who's been kidnapped and it's all just to benefit him 
I would argue Crawford, I don't know whether or not he's sexually attracted to her or not. He never does anything physically harmful to her, but he is using her the same way Chilton uses Lecter. Lecter and Clarice have that in common. They're both being used by other people who have the power advantage. And Crawford uses her throughout that whole movie. He uses her to get the information from Lecter. He sends her off to when they think that they have the answer about who the killer is. He's like, no, 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 you stay there and do the grunt work of finding out a connection between James Gum, who's a total mislead from Lecter. She's just constantly punted. And what he'll do, I'm just going to speak from a woman's point of view. What happens is that Crawford tells her over and over again, you're going to get the credit for this. But it's very clear that she never will. She's not going to get the credit for this. And the person who knows that she's not going to get the credit is Lecter, which is why towards the end of that movie, he misleads them. He misleads them with the wrong information, but he gives Clarice the correct information in the file. Remember, he slips her the file. I, I hope people are following what I'm saying. But Jen, I think you're right in that, you know, his his he's deliberately misleading the rest of the FBI while giving Clarice the right clues that she'll need to actually solve the case. What's interesting is the way that he almost seemingly inhumanly gives away the clue at the beginning of the movie. And he does this in Red Dragon as well, actually. But so at the beginning of that movie, she walks up to his cell. She sees all of these pictures that he's sketched on his wall. And she says, oh, what's that one? And he says, oh, that's the Duomo as seen from the Belvedere. Belvedere, Ohio is the city where the killer (gasps) is. Mr. Belvedere is from. Doug, you just blew my mind. Another one that blows your mind. So at the very beginning of the China, Clarice. This one. Never mattered before. Yeah. This is just the one. (laughs) When you dropkick the jacket, Clarice, (laughs) as you came through the door. (laughs) Sometimes things get turned. I remember the rest of it. Do you still still hear the butler, Clary? (laughs) Sorry. All right. I do this. See, everyone gets, they all think it's just about talking about the character, but I derail them. All right. Anyway, that's what I do. uh, Here's another like fun clue too, at the very beginning of the movie. Um, She walks into Jack Crawford's office and there's a prominent headline that says, Something like, you know, Buffalo Bill skins fifth. And it's very prominent. So your eyeball goes straight to it. Next to it is a smaller headline that says something about FBI still trying to find a pattern. The clue that breaks it open for her is a dress pattern. Right. Because she sees uh, the, you know, they've been looking for a brilliant. pattern this whole time. And it's a, a brilliant. sewing. It's line. just brilliant. That movie's so brilliant. It has so much mirroring in it. It has so much like. Just, I mean, I could really do a whole podcast just on the movie, not even about Hannibal Lecter, which nobody will want to hear. But there's just so much good mirroring in that movie. Like she tells a story about the lamb trying to save one lamb because the lambs, she opened the, you know, this is her traumatic childhood event where she ran away and ended up in an orphanage. And she tried to save these lambs that were being slaughtered and she couldn't carry them all. So she just tried to carry one, but it was so heavy is what she says. So the lamb ends up getting killed. And at the end, of that movie, when she looks down and sees Catherine, she's holding Precious, this little white animal, just like a lamb. And at the end, Catherine is like saved and she's walking out and somebody tries to take the dog from her and she's like, no. That mirroring between like this is a lamb as a dog that's been saved. That symbolism, it's just all over that movie. And, yeah, and what's I interesting too about that is it, that you, that's, you won't find it, but that's Buffalo Bill's dog, Precious, which yes. she originally, you know, had like lured into the pit that she was trapped in, you know, as a means of escape of like extorting, I think, uh, Buffalo Bill to, to like let her go or something. Yeah, right? because like it's that. the only living thing he cares about. He doesn't right. care about and people, so but he loves she's his got, dog. So it's just another interesting element of that, though not your main point. He loves moths. How bad can he be? But it is interesting that Catherine, the girl who's been kidnapped, you know, has this antagonistic relationship with this dog, and at the end she's cradling it. But yeah, I never uh, made that connection. You're always very good at this, Jen. I mean, you see symbolism, you see metaphor in film. I mean, when did you realize that connection? Honestly, I realized it today, and I've seen that movie 10 times. I decided to watch the movie again to prepare myself for the podcast, and I was sort of jotting things down as I went, like things that were interesting to me. And it just popped out at me because 
The mirroring between Lecter and Clarice is very real. I always knew about the Crawford using Clarice and then Chilton using Lecter and seeing how they were both pawns and how they found each other, which is why I will say again with full voice that I believe that the reason that I like Silence of the Lambs is because it's a love story at the heart of it. A very innocent one and one that cannot be played out. But I think it's a love story. I do is think this it's a love like, story. Not uh, like a sexual love story, but yeah, it's a love is, story. I think they is, really love each other. Well, That's we why she knows he won't kill him. Kill we him. shouldn't talk about the ending to Hannibal then. Because oh, fuck. <laughs> Please don't tell me he kills Clarice because I won't be able to handle it. No, Let's not get ahead of ourselves. But like, yeah. That's, I think, what they call sapiosexual. I, I, anyway. I think that's what they call that, where it's like just, it just minds. This is what you're talking about, Jen. I'm trying to support yes. what you're saying. That it's a love story but it's not one that's necessarily romantic. Well, if all of these other figures in this represent a lot of toxic masculinity to varying degrees, where does Hannibal Lecter fit into that spectrum? I'm sort of curious. What makes him different? He's not sexual at all, really. No. Um, He's highly intellectual. And as we sort of touched on, personality-wise, it's almost like he's Fraser Crane, but he kills people. Yes. Um, (laughs) He's a gentleman. So Fraser Crane. He's Fraser so, Crane and Sideshow Bob combined. Right. In the uh, podcast. Sure. <laughs> he's really right. a gentleman. He's very polite. She comes in at one point and she's wet. And like the first thing he does, he won't, the light's not on, but he like puts a towel in for her and puts it out. He has kind of an old fashioned kind of gentlemanliness to him that doesn't really exist anymore. But he also treats her like a person and not an object. So he, um, as much as he is also described as this very cultured, sophisticated guy, he's also described in monster terms, mm-hmm. both in the movies, the books. So, for example, you mentioned that line, there that, oh, is he some kind of vampire? In the books, he's described as having red eyes, red irises, and he's got an extra finger on one hand as a way of making him kind of alien. He's got that super sense of smell. Um, he can see in the dark. See, remember there's that scene where he's, his cell is in the dark and like he pushes open the drawer and yet he's at the back of the cell. So how did he get over there and push it? They're constantly Mm -hmm. doing things to kind of make you think that like, he's got some slightly superhuman abilities, not, not from a literal sense, but he's, they certainly make you feel that he's a monster and the other serial killers, at least certainly in, um, in red dragon and in silence of the lambs are described in monster terms as well, right? Literally, this the guy is trying to become the red, quote-unquote red dragon. And James Gunn is also described in kind of monstery terms and that their murders are transformational. That by murdering these victims, the victims are changed. The killer is becoming a dragon. The killer is becoming, in this case, you know, he's becoming a, a woman, there's this supernatural element that surrounds these stories, even though they are very grounded in police procedural reality. Right. Yes. If I may, then uh, let's yeah. take a closer look at the character of Hannibal Lecter here, because obviously he's endured and with like a lot of characters that we've talked about on this podcast sort of quickly became the protagonist of his own series, right? People started to root for him. Uh, you already kind of root for him, I think, in Silence of the Lambs, to be perfectly honest, right? Well, he almost becomes like he's a nice self-parody, to our hero. you know? Well, um, there is that. There is that. So I wanted to kind of open it up a little bit, you know, as a means to exploring the character, to talk maybe some about some of these other incarnations, if that's okay. Yeah. Um, including the sequels. And, and then I guess there's a different interpretation in this TV series, which I don't have any familiarity with. But yeah, I guess let's talk about where this character went after Silence of the Lambs. So he after ate Doctor Chilton. That's the first yeah. thing he did. The first thing he did was he had Doctor Chilton for dinner. Well, right. that's implied, right? So Doctor Chilton, who we've talked about a little bit, this is the crappy doctor at the uh, prison asylum. where he's the, 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 yes. yeah the asylum, mm-hmm. and he's trying to use uh, Hannibal Lecter to further his own career. And Hannibal Lecter eventually escapes. Spoiler alert. Oops, I did that in the wrong order. Uh, and uh, and it's implied that he's going to go get Chilton as the credits roll on Silence of the Lambs. Okay, so yeah. Right. Where does he go from and Silence of the Lambs? So Hannibal, the story that takes place after that, it's you know several years later. Hannibal has fled to Italy, I believe Florence, which is kind of a nod to that drawing of the Duomo that he had in his cell. That building is in Florence. And he takes on an alias as a like an art historian named Dr. Fell. 
And the first half of that novel is largely about him hiding out in Italy while a local inspector seems to recognize him because apparently before his capture, Lecter spent time there as well. And so there are there's this unsolved case of Il Monstro, the serial killer who was killing people there and is now returned. The Italians uh, really just don't have the flair that we have for naming serial killers. Il <laughs> Monstro. Il <laughs> uh, And so Clarice is pursuing him. But uh, the other side of that story is that apparently one of Hannibal's victims managed to survive, albeit highly disfigured. A character named Mason Verger, played by Gary Oldman in the movie. Yes. Who would then um, go on to become the Senate Majority Leader, Mitch Yes, <laughs> He doesn't not look like Mitch McConnell, I'll say that. Yeah, I've um, seen the, uh, I can see the resemblance. Yeah, but this is another uh, figure, this is another person who was manipulated by Hannibal Lecter. Right? He's yes. manipulated, he's himself. this is like Miggs, he's, he's manipulated, he's drugged and manipulated into cutting off his own face. Right. Yeah. So that tracks, but Clarice and the inspector eventually catch on to where Hannibal is and who he is. He then decides to flee back to America to take out this patient, this last living guy who poses a threat to him. And then at the end, he captures Clarice and a guy, a character named Paul Krenler, who's a kind of an officious guy at the Justice Department who's overseeing yeah, this is, by the way- investigation. This may oh, be my he's least. He's in Silence of the Lambs too, isn't he? Isn't that Krenler? As a very, as a very small part. Yes. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah. Guy different different actor, right? Because it's Ray Liotta yeah. playing him in Hannibal, and somebody else playing him in Silence of the Lambs, right? Yeah, it's or different. It? It's Ray Liotta in Hannibal, right? And, and this... somebody else in that. Anyway, my point is this: uh, what you're about to describe is possibly my least favorite scene in film. It is so disturbing. It's not fu- like like it's like. Silence of the Lambs is disturbing stuff, but it's just on the line and somehow you go with it and it like, you know what I mean? Like it should really like haunt you, but you kind of are okay with it because of the way it's done. This this. this is just disturbing to the point of like, so like trigger warning or whatever, like, uh, you know, this is really intense what happens. Yeah, he's he's eating Ray Liotta's brain while he's still alive. Like no, he's feeding Ray Liotta's brain to Ray Liotta. Right. He gives him a piece of his own brain to eat. And he came. He, he was smarter after that. <laughs> he became so much smarter because he, he like he brain. like removes a piece of his head, and he doesn't even realize it because he's like drugged. And then he like fries it up and gives him a little bit, and he eats it. And he's like, you know, mm, 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 mm. So <laughs> yeah. It's it's yeah. gross for the sake of Not gross. Fun. Yeah. So there's two different endings. The ending in the film is that Clarice gets Hannibal. She handcuffs him to a refrigerator. And leaves it. I think she leaves or something, but he's the only way he can escape is he cuts off his own hand and escapes. But he's willing to do that, cut his own hand off rather than hurt Clarice further, like furthering your kind of love narrative. He loves her. In the book, it's worse. In the book, he escapes with her. They go together to like Rio de Janeiro or something, and he keeps her continuously drugged up (gasps) so that she will be in love with him. Fuck this for story. eternity. So that's the ending in the book. I that's don't where like the story that ends. End. That end. No, sucks. it's horrible. That is not in keeping they, with everything I feel about this story. They both I believe suck. I remember some reviewer described <laughs> the end of that book as like an old bad joke about women or something. Like it just like didn't it didn't gel with everything that had come before. So I can see it why really doesn't it. because everything about that character with Clarice, at least in Silence of the Lambs, is about respecting her. He would never hurt her. He would never do that to her. It would be so disrespectful. I think that's actually like poor writing because it's basically telling the audience that you are going to just throw away this character's main trait just for the sake of the story, which to me is not good writing, but that's just me. Yeah, and they sorry, Thomas Harris, wherever you yeah. are. You've well, done no, a but bad sometimes this stuff happens. This this happens, I think, where sometimes someone creates a character, but then the interpretation of the character kind of exceeds the the original work. You know what I mean? That may have happened here. Did Thomas Harris write the screenplay for Silence of the Lambs? No, it was written by a guy named Ted Talley. Yeah, this might be one of those things, you know, where he had a good idea, but other people sort of executed it a little better. Yeah, maybe they just yeah. made a more complete script that had just all the puzzle pieces in the right spots my personal opinion this is just me i think the film of silence of the lambs is obviously the best out of any of the canon of hannibal Lecter stuff but i do think the book of red dragon is stronger than the book of silence of the lambs largely because the other serial killer uh, francis dollarhide 
is much better developed than James Gunn is. Mm. And they spend a lot of time really building his psychology up to explain why he is the way he is. And it's incredible. Um, and mm. it's really, really good. And so it's kind of sad to see the movie feel like a little bit of a watered down version of that. Because there's so much good stuff going on in there and they just can't get it into a movie because a lot of it is like kind of inner monologue. And you're talking writing. about the movie Red Dragon yeah, with Edward Norton? The movie or, Ed, of with Ed Norton or, is or, or, fine. Uh, it's Man possible. Hunter. No, no, Red Dragon with Ed Norton. It's possible. Yeah. The book is fantastic. It's it's okay. really a great read. I would highly I recommend would that to anyone. Is Clarice Starling in that book? No. No, right. Okay. So no, she's because he brings Clarice Starling in as a new character to replace Will Graham, who's the lead. Uh, they should have done a little nod where like a much younger Clarice Starling like walks by and he just goes, hello, Clarice. And then <laughs> in the movie, they, I'll see like, you like, in ten years. Like, like in the cafeteria, you know, <laughs> hello, Clarice. She's just a little girl. And she's like, oh. <laughs> she's on a, like uh, an elementary school tour of the FBI. That would be interesting. Uh, and then there's the show. And the show is excellent. I think you guys would both love it if you sat down and watched it. I don't. Is this the new no. one? The new Manhunter, which I have watched. No, he's no, talking no. about Wait, Hannibal no. with Mads Mikkelsen. Oh, no, I haven't. And it's no, called Mad- Mind, Mindhunter is the one we've been watching. There, Mindhunter so, is totally different, I guess. Man, Mindhunter. Well, well, Mindhunter. I'm doing great with the references. I'm going to bring totally it in for a second thing. and just say that Mindhunter while it is based on a, a nonfiction book about, you know, profiling in the FBI, clearly takes a page from Man this Hunter. stuff, this genre, because it is about, like, consulting with serial killers to learn about serial killers. So it definitely, even though it was from a program, I think, from the 60s and written about that, I think the series, obviously, does learn from this and borrow a little bit from these kinds of stories. But no, Doug's talking about the series Hannibal with Mads Mikkelsen playing Hannibal Lecter, a very different take on the character, just in that casting. Um, I don't know if I would like it, Doug. I want to hear your, what you have to say about it and how it interfaces with what we've just talked about in the character. Uh, the reason I'm not sure that I would like it is I am not a big serial killer buff. It's been mentioned on the podcast before. And in TV series form, I like it even less because it seems to exist in this reality where like we're lousy with serial killers. You can't swing a dead cat without hitting the serial killer in this town. When I feel like it's a kind of a rare phenomena, and in these series, they always make it seem like every week there's a new one. You know, this is the lumberjack. <laughs> and this week we're Oh, you mean with... Dexter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe I'm just thinking of Dexter because maybe Hannibal didn't do that. So that would be my hesitation on Hannibal. But I want to hear from someone who's actually watched it. So, no, it, it is excellent. You're right. You are going to be dealing with – it's not quite a new serial killer every week. But they do – obviously, there's more than you would expect – but the show is working on other levels, and it's so much more about the psychological relationship between Will Graham and Hannibal Lecter, who obviously this is this is a prequel to the events of Red Dragon, although eventually the series kind of merges the stuff from the Hannibal book that takes place after Silent of the Lambs and stuff from Hannibal Rising and stuff from Red Dragon. All of us gets mushed kind of into the show. Um, they kind of remix things and move things around in time to make it work. One of the things about Will Graham that kind of makes him an interesting protagonist uh, and is different from Clarice Starling, it's just working on a different wavelength, is his level of empathy. It's all about his ability to get inside the head of a serial killer and how uncomfortable that is for him and how traumatic it is to be able to kind of put himself in these monster shoes. And right. also that he, he's, he's not seeing the one that's of, right in front of him. He's the opposite of a sociopath, right? His gift or curse is that he is able to sort of see things from their point of view. And it is a sort of platonic love story in a very twisted way. Kind of like Silent of the Lambs is that Hannibal Lecter is, you know, he's on the one hand, he has to obviously avoid Will Graham being able to detect that he is a serial killer himself. And he's trying to help him, meanwhile, catch these other people and all the while manipulating him for his own ends, but also being fascinated and kind of, Again, platonically infatuated with him. Very artfully done. Really worth your time. I did want to point out this Reddit post that's very funny. So this is... Uh, Completely from... unrelated. It's No, just... no. This is about the show. Um, <laughs> and I think you guys will... It's a will... cat on roller cat skates. climbing in a... No, no. This, this ties into like Hannibal's sophistication. This person wrote... This is Jameson underscore Beam from Reddit. Uh, and this person wrote, I recently got my boyfriend into the show. We found a standard formula of how to talk like Hannibal. One... 
make a grandiose statement about something you are doing or something that is brought up in conversation. Number two, tell me, Will. Number three, dramatic question about how this random thing relates to Will. For instance, last week we went to a potluck and couldn't stop cracking each other up. Quote, a potluck is an event in which individuals bring a cherished part of themselves to the communal table. Tell me, Will, what will you bring to the table? (laughs) Another example, a three bean salad is a union of parts that are seemingly the same, yet ultimately so different. Tell me, Will, are we the same or are we ultimately different? Needless to say, this really annoys our friends, but that seemed like a fun improv game. That is really funny. That's how you write, like Hannibal Lecter. Mm. How you write Hannibal Lecter dialogue. That does seem like a good improv game. You could do that. Just like have somebody throw out an object. We have Dr. Sheraton. We have Dr. Know-it-all. Tonight we're going to (laughs) play Dr. Lecter. All right. So the only other appearance of this character that I feel like we haven't talked about at all was Hannibal Rising. I mean, is that even worth it? I mean, that sounds, it sounds good. That is like the height of parody to me. This is sort of like Hannibal Begins. Yeah, that's what it is. It's not good. It builds on a concept or a story element that's introduced in Hannibal, uh, the the sequel book. They try to give you a little more of the explanation because, again, Red Dragon is excellent at giving you the real psychological depth to Francis Dollarhide. I think Silent Lambs does it to a degree to James Gum, but it's a little less effective. And here they're like, well, how are we going to explain Hannibal Lecter, who is kind of defined by the fact that he's enigmatic and inscrutable? So they try to give him a little bit of a backstory that he was this uh, Lithuanian born, born to a noble family that in the 40s, there was this incredibly cold winter during the war and that these soldiers came in, killed the family, cannibalized the sister, it, it, Lecter's sister in front of him when he's right. you know, like eight years old and maybe fed parts of her to him as well. And then the book of Hannibal Rising kind of dramatizes that and then his years long efforts to kind of slowly exact his revenge on those guys count of Monte Cristo style. Um, eh. <laughs> I can't, I never read That's the book. The sound I haven't seen of, the movie of an inmate ejaculating on your face. <laughs> yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. You know, it's a Hannibal to a degree for Hannibal Lecter. Less is more, right? The scarier he is. It's because we can't fully understand his motives. And they're yeah. constantly telling us, right? You, we don't have a word for what he is. He doesn't yeah. fit a normal psychological profile. Whatever you try to do, he's going to counter it. He's mentally light years ahead of you. And so trying to say like, well, he's, you know, he's really just this thing that does him a disservice, I think. This has come up on the podcast many times. It's like as we return to the well with these characters because we want to see more of them because we like them, they ultimately get less interesting. It's uh, sort of it's the Freddy Krueger thing. Mm. Right. He got he got Freddy Krueger. Well, so Jen, is there anything else that we haven't mentioned that you really want to mention about Hannibal Lecter? Otherwise, my question would just be sort of like, you know, why do you think he is so resonant? I just think he's resonant because he's a villain, but for the right reasons, at least in Silence of the Lambs. There is something really endearing about somebody who is rude to you and ejaculates in your face and then somebody comes and and kills him (laughs) for you with his words just to defend your position. There's something about the justice of him and how he does things, at least in that movie, that makes sense to me from a moral point of view. And also that everyone treats Clarice like such garbage throughout that whole film. It's just she's either like... Even Dr. Chilton, like, asks her out. The guys that she goes to see about the bug are like, do you ever go on a date? She's just, like, she's surrounded by creeps. And the guy who's the creepiest to her, like, throws jizz in her face. Lecter is like, I'll never throw jizz in your face. And, uh... Uh, P.S. I killed that guy for you. I don't that know. Was first, that was the first. That was the first. Yeah, use that as a quote. Ejaculating you all is of just out of your, what? your most precious uh, fluids flying through just, the air. Tell me, Will. <laughs> what part of you will, will fly through the air? I just think oh, he's, you know, he's a kind of like this old-fashioned gentleman, and I think he clearly cares about her in a way that she hasn't been cared about in a long time. Sure. And uh, I think that's really. I don't know. I don't know if you call it endearing or just likable or what, but it's it makes you feel like, yeah, somebody should be defending her. That's kind of a great case for why he is compelling as a sort of the hero side. And I think the reason he's number one on this villain list, right? Why, why is he ahead of 
all these other characters when most of his villainy is, like you said, directed at people who kind of have it coming or yeah. in his way or certainly not in Clarice's way. And I think, what, is, what does he do that makes him so scary? Because we've had lots of violence. And I think what it is is he sees the thing in yourself that you don't want to see. He's perceptive to the point where he zeroes in on whatever that insecurity is, that trauma is, and he does it effortlessly and forces you to stare down that thing in the face. Actually, that's such a good point because one of the things that he does for Clarice in that movie is he helps her from a psychological point of view. He has her reveal her deepest trauma to him, a doctor, and he clarifies for her what she's doing, which is what you do in therapy. Like he's And actually- only four sessions. And only four four sessions sessions. and only a couple dead bodies in there. You know, he's very, you know, he's good at his job with her. He really does help her on so many levels. He helps her with her career. The improv audience wasn't laughing, were they? (laughs) You're not funny. You're a fraud, aren't you? you. (laughs) Um, No, that, 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 that all makes sense. And you can see, well, first of all, it's not a surprise to me why you like this character, Jen. I mean, how many times have you come home recently and have just been like, asshole in the stairway, wasn't wearing a mask. I'm sure you would be happy. If, if only Hannibal Dr. Lecter-, Lecter was here to <laughs> He'll wear a mask with a fava beans. Yeah. Yep. Uh, He'll convince yeah. that person to remove their own face and wear that as a mask. Well, God, you know, I mean, really, what it is is like, it's like this justification for those reasons because those feelings, you know, when you have them, like when you feel threatened in that way or like you feel like somebody's being... Uh, rude to you in a way that feels like your safety's on the line. There is this anger that comes in, especially if you know that you're physically weaker than that person and you have this anger and it has nowhere to go and you don't want to be a serial killer. (laughs) Maybe you don't have the means, maybe you don't have the right tools, I don't know what it is. So the idea of somebody coming to your aid in that way, even if it's just like this fictional universe, there's something very satisfying about that. It's just like a satisfying thing of like justice will be served. These small. As an amuse-bouche. Yes, and as an amuse-bouche. It's just like, uh, you know, these small humiliations that she has to endure. There's going to be a a coming, what do you call it? A a reckoning. A reckoning. There's going to be a reckoning. Well, there there was a coming, but that was earlier in the film. Uh, True. Okay, well, everyone deserves a Hannibal Lecter in their life. Let's move on to the alignment, shall we? Mm This will be interesting because it sounds like there might be a difference of opinion on this. Now, normally, we talk about the evil side on the Dungeons & Dragons alignment chart. We have lawful evil, neutral evil, and chaotic evil. But it sounds like maybe Jen wants to look at the other parts of the uh, alignment. you got lawful neutral, true neutral, chaotic neutral, and then you've got lawful good Neutral good and chaotic good. And I think you understand those differences. We probably talked about them before. Okay. So where would you place on this nine square grid? Mm. Where are you going to put Hannibal Lecter? God. I mean, the first one that comes to mind is chaotic good, which is, I mean, at least just in this film, I would say chaotic good. But I, but that's, you know, I don't know. I don't know if he fits into that spectrum very well. Cause I don't know if his, killing is from a place of evil it's a place of being annoyed by somebody it might be closer to chaotic neutral you know what i mean where he yeah. has a disregard for the rules and everything yeah but can go kind of either way like but you sort can of help, understand he why he's doing it and he can do things that are really terrible if he feels like it uh but he's a rebel what do you think yeah. doug you think you can dissect him with this blunt little tool um <laughs> I think you couldn't find anyone to play Dungeons and Dragons with you, could you, Dan? (laughs) (laughs) They never were available. Tell me, Will. A twenty-sided die is a. um, (laughs) So I think chaotic neutral is actually right on the money here. Mm. There's no doubt that he's evil. He does all kinds of evil things. He occasionally, certainly, does good things by helping catch these other serial killers. Yeah, I mean, he's almost defined by his sociopathy, which, again, by definition, is kind of a disregard for the rules. And he kind of just does as he pleases, good or evil. But he's not like a, a true neutral evil like an Al Capone would be. He's not He's not exactly selfish about this either. He just kind of does it because he feels like it. So I think he's yeah, operating think he was- on a different plane, both for good and ill, it sounds like. Well, yeah. for my money, 
I can be sold on that. I can be persuaded that he can sometimes do good things. It's just like, what are you... He's done things that are irredeemable. You know what I mean? He needs to be locked Mm -hmm. up. I mean, he needs to be put away. (laughs) Oh, yes. No doubt. I agree with that. (laughs) Yeah. He cannot be allowed to roam free. Okay. Fan casting. Fan casting. So he's been played by Brian Cox, Anthony Hopkins... Mads Mikkelsen. Mads Mikkelsen Mikkelsen and somebody younger who was forgettable, I suppose. I mean, no disrespect. Do you know who played him in Hannibal Rising? Anyone we know? Gaspard Uliel. Oh, I I used to have a poster of him on my wall when I was a kid. (laughs) Gaspard Ulio, Il Monstro Mm. to you. All right. So who would be a good Hannibal Lecter since he's been played by other people? It's not exactly weird. Huh. That's so strange. Doug usually comes prepared so that okay, good. I won't have to think about it then. I'd like to pretend that I did, but it's very hard because I, you know, I'm kind of torn. I I liked that Mads Mikkelsen brought in the European kind of energy that he does, that kind of tracks with the character's actual biography, and gives him a little bit of an otherness, right? That English isn't his first language. More um, evidence that he's just trying to fit in you know, with society that he's not actually a part of, you know, it just sets him apart from everyone else he's around in the, in the story. So I was trying to think of an, another actor who was actually from that part of the world. And the one that I, I came up with was maybe Stellan Skarsgård, who's a little older. Oh um, yeah. But mm, I sure. could see him doing it. Yeah. I know exactly who you're talking about. He would be good. That's what I got. Stellan Skarsgård. I like Stellan it. Stellan Skarsgård. Is, uh, Jen, is there anyone you can think of? It's, it's a hard question. I. It's always a little bit of a stumper. You know, I'm just, you know, I'm thinking. Do you want to go first and I'll try to think here for a second? <laughs> I should think about it. Oh, you know what? I do have somebody. Okay, great, hmm. great. I think Christian Bale could do it. Oh, yeah. Christian Bale he could do, do it. Because he can do, he can ride the line between evil and, he's a very good actor, obviously. I think he's a little nutballs. And I think that helps. And, uh, and no offense. God. I no say offense to any nutballs listening. <laughs> I love yeah, you, Christian Bale, you. wherever you are. Um, no, I just think he's a good actor. And I think he can ride the line between playing. Um, I mean, he, 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 I did not watch American Psycho. But I think he can play evil and I think he can play the underlying like small layer of empathy that that character has very specifically for specific people. I think he can do it. And he can really highlight Hannibal Lecter's love of Huey Lewis in the news. Is, wait, what? <laughs> that's from that's he, an American, American Psycho, Psycho thing. Oh, dang it. Yeah, I've never seen that movie. Too bloody. That's how you know that he's deranged because he loves Huey Lewis in the news. No, not fair. Huey Lewis in the news has <laughs> some good great. qualities. Hewlett is power of loves. How can you not like Hewlett? He, he's everybody. He's like everybody's uh, cool uncle. I guess I would like to see Kelsey Grammer do it, <laughs> based on our previous discussion. <laughs> I think there should have been a As Halloween a episode of Frasier that was just like out of continuity. You know what I mean? That was like <laughs> just him <laughs> advising on a case with uh, Roz. <laughs> so I would like to see. I would like to see that. Um, all right, and then my favorite part of the podcast, it's the title fight. So who do we got, Doug? Who's, who, it's, it's uh, in one corner we have... Hannibal Lecter. And in the other corner, Pennywise. The evil clown from It. Yeah. So what? We, what's the question? Wait, who I don't know this fight? part. It's like oh. I was telling Jen before. It's like RoboCop versus the Munsters, you know? <laughs> Here's the problem, is is I've never seen it. Here's what you need to know. I think Hannibal Lecter would win, but that's just my opinion. Well, we know what you think. Yeah. (laughs) You love Hannibal Lecter. This is one of the problems where we're mismatched in terms of power in that Hannibal Lecter, for all of his strengths, is still a mortal flesh and blood human. But is he? He opens doors and then he's in the back of the cell. He has red eyes. Red eyes. But he's not a cosmic horror that is that is what just is that what pennywise is oh yeah he t- he's like yeah. a lovecraftian otherworldly alien why is he dressed like a clown then because that's what they look like on their planet he he takes whatever form he wants but he can he can project the form of a clown to lure in children oh, and ensnare okay. them so he is a killer yeah. clown from outer how space. does he kill how does, he is a how literal does he's a literal kill? killer clown from outer space i didn't even realize that until now he can do whatever he wants to. Maybe he rips him apart, bites him, eats him, drags him down in the sewers. I mean, whatever. But he has to it's use a... his hands, right? No, he can. Does he have mind powers? He does. I'm just it's, trying it, to assess. He, look, the power opponents. differential here is extreme. 
So, All right. Well, I guess always, Pennywise well, would win then if he has. <laughs> well, wait. You know, guys, he doesn't have But powers. it's always fun to think. You know, it's always fun to figure out how Mr. Burns, you know, defeats. Does Cthulhu. Hannibal Lecter have so. like a little tiny piece from a pen? Because then <laughs> it's Lecter. Here's the rub that makes this a little more even. The weakness that Pennywise has is you have to be unafraid of him. He feeds on your fear and that gives oh. him power over you. But I don't think Hannibal Lecter scares too easy. I, so he might be able to actually kind of no. put Pennywise Knowing in Knowing this, I think Lecter would win. <laughs> the only thing that scares win. Hannibal Lecter is like people using the wrong fork. They said there's a whole section of Science of the Lambs where they talk about a murder he did and his heart rate while he was in the hospital, his heart rate never went above you know, whatever, 85 or something. So I don't, I I think if that is Pennywise's weakness, then I think Lecter would win. And that's the deal. Like if you're not afraid of Pennywise, you just kind of, he's sort of, yeah, you could just like walk up to him and like, Stab him in the head, right? I mean, just like, like he just floof has no power his neck ruffles and like insult yeah. him. <laughs> yeah, honk his clown nose. Yeah, and step on his big feet. I mean, what's the <laughs> right? problem? Yeah, shoot seltzer water on him and then he melts, right? That's how it ends. Uh, yep. Well, I think that definitely gives Hannibal the edge. Also, you know, he's like Iago to me in that his physical limitations aren't really a problem because he's such a powerful intellect. So right. it seems like they are kind of on an even plane at that point. You just convince Pennywise to like do whatever Pennywise needs to do to essentially off himself. Swallow his own tongue. Yeah, yeah exactly. Does he have a tongue? If he tongue? wants to. Are, okay. If you're afraid of tongues, he does. Oh. If you're afraid of tongues, he's just a big tongue, like hopping mm-hmm. towards you. <laughs> <laughs> this movie sounds weird. It's great. <laughs> sounds like a weird movie. All right, so uh, we're going to give it to Hannibal Lecter. It's always fun to give it to the underdog. Yay. Yeah. Yay. I love it. Fantastic. My favorite track from Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> <laughs> I we one. should mention there is a musical, an off-Broadway Yeah, Doug really, really, Doug there really wanted is? to get this into the uh, podcast, so go for it, Doug. <laughs> oh, just that it's the same guys who did that Conan the Barbarian, the musical, Crom. Uh, if oh. you ever saw that, make it the rounds on the internet. They made an off-Broadway comedic version of Silence of the Lambs, which is okay. Uh, you know, it's kind of one joke done over and over again, but some Here, of it's since pretty you, good. Since you bring it up, Doug, I'll, I'll try to cue it up for us real fast. What's the track that you want to hear? Oh, I don't know. I, I would guess you, the the one that's the least gross. Uh, you could do quid pro quo. Okay, I found it in record time. I didn't cut any of that out. Here we go. Amazing. <laughs> quid pro quo. I need an answer. Is it yes or no? Quid pro quo, you better give me what I want or go. And don't you lie to me or else I'll know. Quid pro quo. Daddy, Dad, he was a cop and I was oh so young. It's like a share impression. Why does she talk like that? This is kind of how Jodie Foster talks. She doesn't have like a wish. I can make you eat your tongue. Quid pro quo. All right. All right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what is happening? I got to go find that. I am going to find that. That's amazing. There's some, there's some fun stuff in it. Uh, I think the Dr. Chilton song is actually kind of funny. Um, Dr. Chilton. You, also, Dr. Chilton. <laughs> you get, there's the My obvious stuff. Dr. Chilton, and I'm here to say. <laughs> you get, you know, <laughs> would you fuck me? Uh, I'd fuck me is a song. You know, you get all oh, the stuff you expect. Oh, you're kidding. Oh, the, yeah. Would hilarious. you fuck me in parentheses? I'd fuck me. <laughs> <laughs> so hard. Okay. Well, so we've once hard. again, that we've once again topped ourselves at coming in an hour and 10 minutes. Oh. Jen, is there anything uh, you want to plug here before we sign off? I know. Uh, I mean, I, I think this will air after the show that you and I are working on. But in the event okay. that it doesn't, October 27th, we have a new Lost Moon Radio show. But I think we'll have already have mentioned it by the time this this comes out. So watch so. that back in time. And then yeah, go back in time um, and enjoy that. Well, it is online. I'm sure it'll be archived. So if you want to see more from Jen Burton, you can see her in Lost Moon Radio's Doing Fine, available wherever finer streams are archived. Online. Yeah, I don't know if I have much else to plug. Eventually, this show, Book of Beasts, will come out, and I worked on that, and uh, I don't know when it's going to come out, and it'll be Yeah, you're uh, writing on that right now as we speak. In fact, I'm we've taken you away. i punch-up work on it, so I'm counting it as writing, but I've worked <laughs> on like, like 10 of the 12 episodes. Very cool. So. Um, all right, well, uh, I think uh, that's it. Doug, we have some admin, though, don't we? 
A little bit to do, yeah. So, all right. So, we're going to, Jen, we're going to say goodbye. We're going to convince you to swallow your own tongue. I can't remember what noise I made. It was like, it was, this is me swallowing my own tongue. I just want to say thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun. I really enjoyed myself. Oh, thank thanks you. for doing it, Jen. It was thank you for coming on. It thanks was uh, it was a lot of fun, and as always, you were very insightful. And it's always fun to talk about movies with Jen because she has great the uh, great ability to dissect them. Well, thank you. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, we do have a little admin to do. Just a couple of quick things. One, uh, we got a new star review on iTunes. They didn't uh, leave a, a verbal review, but uh, we still appreciate that nonetheless because they dropped us a five. So Hey, that's much. my favorite one. Yeah. Uh, and then we also got a, uh, a little feedback from uh, Brian K, who was talking about uh, our Walter White episode. And he said, listened to the episode. Great job getting Badger, who was a terrific guest. Thanks again to Matt Jones, who dropped in on that. He wrote, uh, who knew he had such an ill will toward Jane? I think a battle between Walt and Moriarty would be a draw where the apparent winner succumbs to a death trap left by the loser. Best matchup yet, though. That's one we've never done where there's like a dead man switch, right? Where it's like Right, they- right. Where someone like stabs someone in the back and then as they're celebrating, they drink poison. <laughs> right. That's left for them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, so that's it for admin stuff. Our plan is to do one real big one and then kind of take a little bit of a time. I'll call that like a season finale. We haven't decided who that's going to be yet, but it's going to be a big marquee villain. Who should it be? You tell us. Contact us on Twitter at Podcast But Evil. Who should we make our big season ender? And then we'll take a little break. We may do uh, some stuff from Christmas. Uh, we've talked about kicking that around, but then we'll be back in earnest for uh, what we'll call season two, I suppose. So uh, there will be more podcast be evil after that. So uh, thank you so much. Oh, and of course, again, if you want to leave us a review, drop it at Apple iTunes. And again, tweet at us at podcast, but evil gentlemen to evil clink clink. <laughs>